0: Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.
1: Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. When history is made, the bystanders tend to get forgotten. We remember Abraham Zapruder because he filmed the most famous 26 seconds ever captured on camera, the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. But what about Gene Boone? The name might not ring a bell, but Boone was the sheriff's deputy who found Oswald's rifle in the book depository. And then there's Fred Capps. He wasn't witness to a presidential tragedy, just a missed opportunity. Capps was fairly well-known among professional magicians, but very few people today remember his appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show in 1964. Why? Because he had the unfortunate luck of following up America's first glimpse of a brand new rock band from England, The Beatles. Samuel also seemed like just another bystander. However, he had one heck of a story to tell. He was born in Easton, Maryland, and grew up on a farm there before moving to Arlington, Virginia with his wife, Mary, where they raised their family. Eventually, though, Samuel moved back to his home state of Maryland. The most incredible thing he ever saw occurred when he was just five years old. His father worked for the Goldsboros, a rich family in Talbot County, Maryland. One night, Mr. Seymour and Mr. Goldsboro had traveled to Washington, D.C. on business, and young Samuel was allowed to tag along. While the boy's father and Mr. Goldsboro were attending to their business, Mrs. Goldsboro and Samuel would attend a play. They knew it would be an event to remember, too, because they were let in on a not-so-secret bit of information. A very special guest would be in the audience that night. Years later, the 95-year-old Samuel was invited to appear on a popular television game show and he almost didn't make it. Shortly after arriving in New York, he fell and hurt his right eye. He visited a local doctor who cleared him for his TV appearance, although the producers urged him to postpone until he was fully healed. Samuel, though, refused. He was too old, and he might not get another chance. He wanted to tell his story, so he sat next to the host, who introduced him to the audience, as well as the panel of celebrity guests. But the host didn't tell anyone why Samuel was there. You see, that was up to them to figure out. The show was called I've Got a Secret, and the goal was for the panelists to ask a series of yes or no questions until they could figure out the guest's hidden identity. Radio and TV star Bill Cullen kicked things off by trying to assess Samuel's age. After a while, he deduced that whatever the secret was, it had to do with the American Civil War. One by one, each panelist asked their questions, drilling down to the truth about Samuel Seymour. They eventually discovered that when he was just five years old, Samuel did more than just attend a show in Washington, D.C. The show Mrs. Goldsboro had taken Samuel to was called Our American Cousin. They sat in the balcony, directly across from the special guest of the evening, President Abraham Lincoln. Samuel remembered him being tall and serious in his demeanor, although he smiled and waved to the crowd before the show. While watching the play, a shot rang out. A woman screamed and Samuel looked up to see the president fall forward. Another man, who he'd later learned was John Wilkes Booth, leapt onto the stage and broke his leg. Samuel, unsure about what had just happened, felt bad for the man with the injured leg. He begged Mrs. Goldsboro to go down and help him, but shouting from the crowd drowned out his cries. Lincoln's shot, they said. The president's dead. Booth slipped away in the commotion and wouldn't be found for another 12 days. Samuel Seymour, you see, was born in 1860, and during his appearance on that game show in 1956, he revealed himself to the world as the last surviving witness to the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln. Curious? You better believe it. to start living yours. Let's get into it. Oftentimes, when lawmakers try to make a change, they're met with resistance. Nobody likes to be told what to do, especially by folks who think they know better. Movements have been started and systems have been ended simply because someone stood up and said no. No. Others, however, aren't so brazen. They rebel more quietly, from deep underground, or sometimes from atop a bar stool. In 1896, lawmakers in New York State passed a law that affected both the regular public and business owners alike. New York City had become known as a den of sin, where men and women would drink all night and day. Public drunkenness had become a serious problem to the more conservative legislators upstate. It didn't help that the city's mayor and other governing bodies weren't enforcing the strict Sabbath laws. Sunday, you see, was meant for the Holy Spirit, not other kinds of spirits. Meanwhile, an up-and-coming political powerhouse was making a name for himself in the city. His name was Theodore Roosevelt, and he threw his support behind a brand new law, the Rains Law, which would make it impossible for most of the 8,000 bars and dives in the five boroughs to be able to stay in business. Among other things, the Raines Law made the cost of an annual liquor license prohibitively expensive. Seedier saloons that catered to criminals and ne'er-do-wells couldn't afford to stay open. The law also eliminated the free lunch, a common perk when drinking at many bars. Offering complimentary boiled eggs or soda bread kept drinkers fed, which meant they kept ordering drinks as long as they had money. But the law eventually passed, and it worked exactly as they had planned. Bars locked their doors at midnight on Saturdays. Places that did remain open on Sundays had to keep their curtains open so passing beat cops could see inside to make sure no one was serving liquor. But there was a loophole. One so big the city's elite could drive a train through it if they wanted to. Any hotel or establishment with ten or more rooms could serve alcohol on Sundays, as long as lunch was provided. Well, it didn't take long for the loophole to widen enough for everyone, regardless of social status, to walk on through, dive bars suddenly became private clubs with memberships, rooms barely big enough to fit a bed were built into attics and basements, and a new sandwich was born, the Rain's Sandwich. It was more substantial than the usual bar fare of peanuts and pretzels, and the authorities didn't mind it. Neither the cops nor the courts fought these new hotels or lodging houses for exploiting the law to their benefit, and as they sprouted up all over the city, the rain sandwich craze spread with it. Now, the thing about the sandwich was that its ingredients always changed depending on who was making it. Sometimes it would be made with cold cuts that were so old they had shriveled into dried jerky, or cheese covered in spots of green mold. The bread was often too stale and crusty to stay together. At the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, where New York society came to schmooze and booze, the sandwich was made with old meat patties. A few bars even made the rain sandwich using nothing more than a brick and two slices of bread. Then, as one person finished their drink, the so-called sandwich would be whisked off to another table with a fresh glass. The point of the sandwich wasn't to eat it. It was so patrons could order a meal to drink according to the law. Unfortunately, the good times didn't last forever. The man who had written the law, Senator John W. Raines, realized that he had to close the loophole. The following year, amendments were made that made it almost impossible for the poor and middle class to get a drink on Sundays. And so once again, it became a luxury meant only for the rich, and the cops and lawmakers backed off. Part of the deal centered around the price of the Raines sandwich, which skyrocketed by 50 to 100%. The era of poor men and women spending their days on a bar stool shooting the breeze had faded into the past. And as most New Yorkers came to realize, there was no free lunch either. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works.